1: Hello and welcome to Smart Money Simplified
2: with Brent Mikosh. Brent, how are you, my man? Eric, I'm doing pretty good. Not uh, Maybe a little better than you even today. <laughs> you, you normally sound like Barry White coming across the microphone, but today's a little rougher. Yeah, today's a little rougher, but uh, so I'll let you get to it. you got a great guest on the show today. Who'd you bring on? I'm super excited about this. I have Tom Todd Bensman on. He is currently a Texas-based Senior National Security Fellow for the Center, of, Center for Immigration Studies. And he also has done, he's written several books. He's written uh, America's Covert Border War, which I believe is 2021. He has a forthcoming book out called Overrun, which is also concerning our border crisis that's going to be due next year. He also has an intelligence background. Uh, he led the counter the counterterrorism intelligence for the Texas Department of Public Safety's Intelligence and, counter ter, and Counterterrorism Division. So this guy, and then there's 20 plus years of reporting before that. So I'm really honored to have you on here, Todd, uh, talking about what I think is an incredibly important issue. Thank you so much for joining me.
3: Hey, great to be here. I appreciate it.
2: So I'm going to start with kind of a, a, a brief story here from about 10 years ago, and then I want to know exactly how much has changed. So I'm here in Arizona. Those that are listening know that we're a border state. Obviously, we share a big, big border with Mexico. It's about 10 years or so ago, I was down visiting a rancher on the southern border and talked. they were debating selling the property. And then what would they do with the proceeds if they did that type of thing? And uh, stayed a little longer. We, we opened up a little whiskey. And so it was clear I wasn't going to drive back to Phoenix at that point. And I stayed outside in a uh, kind of chuck wagon that they had had set set up. And the guy handed me a pistol and he said, I don't think you're going to have any problems, but we do have some coyotes that come through here occasionally. And if you find a bag, there's probably narcotics in it. Don't touch it. Just basically keep to yourself. And it struck me what a bizarre thing to what a bizarre world to live in where you are concerned about giving your guests firearms to stay safe at night. That was ten years ago. Now, based on what I'm seeing when I'm watching television lately, the situation on the southern border is much more dire than that so i guess i'll turn it to you right now and just what what the heck is going on here man this is this this seems like it's out of control
3: to put it the most in the most simplistic terms uh make it easy to understand is that the biden administration entered office uh campaigned against the uh previous administrations immigration policy throughout that campaign and so uh, they were expected there was an expectation that you know as soon as the administration biden administration took office that they would undo all of the previous administration's policies which up until that point had been holding back had been deterring any significant number of illegal immigrants crossing the border down to a really low manageable number by historic standards and when when the administ- when the new administration undid those policies on the very first day in office i mean literally on an inauguration day uh undid the, a whole bunch of them and and did some other things then it triggered this massive influx that has never stopped uh, it just began that day, and I mean, by the end of the month, there were hundreds of thousands of people in. Uh, by the end of the next, uh, by the end of the quarter, uh, more hundreds of thousands. By the end of the year, 1.7 million uh, uh, a U.S. record of uh, apprehensions at the border. That's just the ones we know about. There were probably about another uh, 600,000 Godaways that just got into the interior Uh, while all that was happening. And then in 2022, those policies, or I guess the absence of any policy except everybody gets in, or huge numbers get in, just encouraged more and more like a snowball rolling downhill, getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Because after all, when you let people in, the people down trail go, they're letting people in up trail, let's go join them. And so today you have about 4.4 million uh, apprehensions at the border and another 1.3, 1.5 million gotaways. So we're, we're already post 5 million that have um, attempted that crossing. And so it's just complete pandemonium by policy fiat. That's the simplest way
2: now for sense of scale the number that i've heard being tossed around is 5 million in biden's first two years as president um how what order of magnitude is that greater than what we had experienced leading up to beginning of 2021
3: well we've never had anything like this in recorded u.s history so this every you know 2021 set the marker the benchmark for the highest ever Uh, 20 years earlier, there was an event down there that brought in about 1.6 million. And that was like this strange high water mark. It never happened again. It didn't happen before. And then it didn't happen for 20 more years. So 2021 was really the first big, you know, historic history making marker. And then, of course, 2022 was even bigger by 600,000 that we know of. Another million and a half that we don't know of, or we we think got in, um, we're already on track in just the first two months of, of fiscal 2023 to see these the the in a much bigger number and a higher benchmark. Just stair stepping higher and higher into completely uncharted territory. I mean, this is really history. This is American history in the making down there in
2: terms so of we've the got- border. Now we've got, to, uh, so, so explain to, to me and our listeners a little bit what Title 42 is, which is going to be expiring soon. And based on what I'm seeing is the numbers, you kind of ain't seen nothing yet. There's there's more coming with the expiration or I guess the uh, the end of Title 42. So, so what is that and what sort of impact do you expect that to have on what's occurring?
3: Right. Title 42 is a, a health provision, public health provision, not an immigration pr- provision. Uh, Donald Trump put that in place in March 2020 at the height of the COVID as it was really kind of um, the, the pandemic was ramping up. And it, and it required Border Patrol to turn back every single immigrant that they caught and to deny every single immigrant that they caught a chance to claim asylum, which is a workaround. You get you get through and into the interior When you say the three magic words i want asylum title 22 prevented that and under trump uh he was pushing back about 90 percent 88 89 percent of everybody that got caught which means down down the line people were like oh we stand a very high chance of not getting in getting pushed back so they stayed home that's why the border was under you know really you know, historically comparative seal uh, when Biden entered office. Uh, Biden decided to, he undid all these other policies, but then the other thing he did was he, he kept Title 42, but he opened up these huge exemptions in it for family groups, for unaccompanied minors, and for pregnant women. So those three demographics just poured in like a Noah's flood of course they would right uh they're telling you you get in all if you're not a family with a kid you you you're going to get 42 back but if you have a kid who's under the age of seven or more than one kid under the age of seven you get in and not only do you get in but you get to go into the interior for years and years uh and we are not doing deportations anymore so you don't even have to worry uh, whatever you do, <laughs> once you're in the interior, you don't have to worry about anything. You're home free. And so it was just irresistible. It was irresistible. I mean, the whole world saw what was going on. They're sending selfies back, you know, smiling and, you know, at the bus. These buses are and NGOs, uh, non-governmental organizations are all down on the border, helping them buy bus tickets. And just hundreds of thousands are being bused to cities all across america until there were millions finally and it's still going on now this conveyor belt um what happened then was biden was under a lot of pressure to get rid of title 42 because it prevented it blocked access to the asylum system that magical elixir that that every immigrant in the world knows that if they can just say the words they're in forever uh, they won't get deported they won't get detained it's a workaround And everybody knows it, except the American people probably don't realize what what the asylum system means. So Biden started gradually, tried to get rid of it about six, seven months ago. It got tied up in litigation and they kept it uh, under court order. They had to keep it. And it was the only remaining speed bump of any sort. Uh, He was still pushing back 50 or 60 percent of everybody who reached the border Uh, and then gradually reduced it until there were like about 35% were being pushed back. That's what it is today. Another court, round of court litigation, and now it looks like that final uh, remnant rump of 42 is going to go away on December 21st. The intelligence community assessed that when that happens, when that finally happens, that anywhere from... 12,000 to 18,000 migrants a day will then flood over the border, claim this asylum or that they intend to claim asylum, and see that the administration is letting them all in. So that's why the numbers are so astronomical. Those numbers are beyond anything. Just to give you one little bit of perspective on this, a few years ago, the Secretary of DHS, Jay Johnson, under obama just a couple of years ago said uh in an interview you know if i woke up and there were a 1000 immigrants a day crossing uh that's a terrible day that's a crisis beyond management that's an unbearable crisis 1000 a day well we are, we we've had 7 and 8 and 9000 a day now for 2 years straight yeah uh and so 14000 12000 14 15 18000 gives you the idea of scale of what we're talking about here this is something that's beyond really anything even in the world that that the that the world has has ever experienced even in in world wars
2: let me ask you this i mean so we we live on an economic planet and as far as the people that are coming here i've been to 50 some countries there's a lot of really awful places in the world this place is pretty good i can't blame them for wanting to come here the united states is is spectacular however Somebody has to pay for all of this because when I see, when I see these massive caravans of people that are, that are arriving at the southern border and they've moved through Mexico, they've come from Central America, you name it, they're being fed along the way, they're being taken care of along the way. How, where is that money coming? To me, when I look at that, nothing in this world is free and you can't make an overland journey like that. Unless you've got some way, maybe they're self-funding it. I don't know the answer to that, but I've always wondered that. Where's the money coming from to support this kind of migration?
3: Sure. I've got an answer for you on that because I spend a lot of time with the immigrants in route. And I always ask that same question. Everybody I meet, hey, where are you getting the money for this? Uh, Several different places. One is that a lot of these immigrants that are coming have family members already in the United States who are working. And they're wiring them money on a regular basis as they come along. Uh, they'll have to pay it back eventually, but whatever. I mean, you know, your cousin Jose has been working here for five years, and he's he's gonna you're gonna you, you, that's how you do. It's like kind of the code. There's like this honor code thing. You bring them in, you'll get paid with interest. The the there are certain nationalities that have money. So they're self-funding like the Venezuelans, uh, by and large are you know prosperous. They have money, they're paying their own way through. Or they have relatives in the US that have done very well and they're paying for the smugglers and all the rest. Then you have really poor people like the Haitians uh or you know, Cubans. Cubans would be a great example. Well, they have relatives too, but But all along the way, there are these very established waypoints on on the on the migration trail going all the way into South America. And there are uh, non-governmental volunteer organizations in all of these countries. Some of our international. Uh, They take uh, like the United Nations, IOM, International Office of Migration, uh, UNHCR. Uh, These are U.S.-funded entities. They have way stations all along the way to make sure that people don't starve, the poorest of them don't starve to death on the way, and they have a way to sustain themselves while they're waiting in different situations to to make the next move. I've seen them hand out uh, debit cards. Uh, I've seen them give out uh, lodging assistance, Clothing, food, I mean, all of the basic needs and cash uh, from the United Nations. That money, uh, a lot of that comes from the United States annual contribution. Then there are just NGOs that, you know, raise money in the United States retail on the website. Click donor, click on the donation button. They just, you know, look, look at all the good things we're doing down there helping these people, where they're desperate, and if they're desperate, then you've got to give us money. So they're fundraising on the photographs and the video and all this drama going on down there of uh, you know, little children, cute, cute babies, and it's irresistible. It's kind of like um those TV shows, uh, the commercials that show you know sad-looking puppies at the shelter looking yep. for. You know, I don't mean to, but I mean it's the same.
2: The emotional heartstrings, of course.
3: It's a heartstrings thing. <clears throat> and so that that's really what's going on. I mean, the, nobody is starving to death. I'll tell you that. And everybody has cell phones and everything they need. I i, I don't see anybody starving to death down there or even looking slightly hungry.
2: <laughs> right. And so, you know, one of the things I look at too is is everybody, I think, that's a decent person wants to be reasonably compassionate about things. However, the amount of violence and abuse that's occurring to these migrants along the way, my understanding is pretty significant. Can you give me some idea of what, what the journey might be like for a young woman that's making that trip up from South America to the United States?
3: Yeah, there's no doubt that the people who have made the decision to embark on these journeys because they see the open door.
2: Right. Uh, that's and- a giant magnet. You can't Again, you can't yeah. blame them. It's a, you, you have the welcome sign laid out.
3: I mean, I, I liken this in, in my book, my upcoming book to like kind of the Yukon, you know, the the gold rush and the California gold rush. And somebody up this up trail found some nuggets and word passed. And pretty soon, 50,000 settlers are on the way, you know, with with their mining equipment. That's and and they're getting killed by Indians along the way yeah, and getting snake bit and, you know, starving out there and. You know getting swept up by tornadoes and and all of that so there's there's just danger on the road it's not necessarily that they're they're on the road because they must be on the road but often just because it's prosperity beckoning yeah. and if you just take this risk this gamble and they win it's gonna they're gonna win big it's just irresistible and so there are depredations along at different places along the trail. These are countries that are that have bandits and uh, Mexican drug cartels and smugglers. And there are a lot of vulnerable, easy pickings along the route, just like in, you know, along the gold rush trails and the old yeah. bandits and stuff. That so you uh, but I would argue that, and I often do that, a lot of those people would be alive today and at home had they just not provided these gold nuggets up upstream from the Biden administration. They they just stayed home.
2: Now another concern that I have is is I, you know, I lived in New York City for a long time. I was four blocks away from the towers on nine eleven. Lost knew a lot of people that died that day. Generally, they were people that should not have been in the country, and they were here. Now, if I were anyone in organization a government that wanted to do harm to this country why wouldn't you take advantage of this so you you have an intelligence background if you were the russians or the chinese or you name it anybody that wants to send and and park people here for at some point in the future why not or is there a question of who is coming in as well it's not always just the people seeking a better life it's, it's people seeking to get embedded in our society for maybe reasons that aren't going to do us any favors in the future is is that are we seeing any of that as well
3: Absolutely uh, and of course uh it's a it's a golden opportunity for adversarial intelligence services and uh, Islamic terrorists and uh African war criminals. I've written about that uh people who you know I mean everybody wants to come here uh, sometimes it's just to take take you know sanctuary from from justice uh we have a lot of Africans coming through from war-torn, African countries. I've met somebody from just about every country on the African continent, and there are terrible wars and atrocities and militias going, uh, happening, tearing each other up. And we don't know whether these guys are victims or, like they say, they're all victims, of course, or the perpetrators, because we have a long history of finding perpetrators using our uh, asylum system and, and abusing all of our immigration. Laws to hide here for 20, 30 years. The Nazis did it after World War II, and they're doing it from Liberia and Sierra Leone and everywhere else. But we also have Islamic uh, terrorists crossing that border, uh, more so than at any time in uh, recorded history. Uh, We have had about 120 Islamic terrorists who are on the FBI's watch list when they crossed get apprehended. Uh, that we know of and why do we know that because the uh, customs and border protection website in April started putting a page up on how many they caught so it's right there on their own.gov website so we can count it up Um, we had 98 in fiscal year 2022 we had nine alone just in October Uh, there are people from the Middle East routinely crossing that border from Iran which is an adversarial country from Russia. I have met, I can't tell you how many Russians I've met down there. I have no idea whether they're Russian intelligence guys. If I was Russia, I'd be totally putting guys in over our border. I would do that. Absolutely do that. Uh, easy, easy, easy to do. And and you have people coming from China by the hundreds, right over the border. And, you know, if I were the Chinese uh, PLA or of course, I would say, yeah, you betcha. I'd send uh, spies over the border.
2: So they arrive here in the United States. Now what? Because you're talking about numbers. Many of these border communities are not big places. I mean, you have bigger towns, obviously, along the border, Brownsville and things like that. But a lot of these are small towns. What happens now? Are they being bused into the interior, flown in the interior? Are they, are they staying in the border towns? Like Where are all these people going? Because we're talking millions of people now
3: yeah, I, I would say like almost n- nobody stays in the border towns. Everybody is on their way to uh, a place where they've got relatives or where there's work and those are going to be the big cities. Uh, what typically happens is they cross the river or the border somewhere, turn themselves in, and say, I intend to declare asylum, but there's so many of of them that they take them to a border patrol facility, take their fingerprints, take a picture, keep them maybe for a day, and then they give them a, a paper, a slip, that's like kind of a permission slip to be in the country for a year. Uh, and one day you'll check in in the place you go with ICE. And then you from there, it's up to you to how you're going to find a way to stay. The, there are these non-governmental organizations all along the border on both sides, on the Mexican side, And on the American side, in the small towns and the cities on both sides, that will help the the new releasees. Border Patrol will release these people from their their station after a day into the hands of designated non-governmental helper groups, who then will arrange for them to buy tickets on buses. You want to go to Omaha? Okay, here's let me look it up. Here's a ticket to Omaha. It's uh, $180. Uh, here's the ticket. Here's the bus. Go And then they'll take you to the bus station or they'll bring a charter bus that's going to the general area. And then from there, they'll take a taxi or, you know, find another bus to get to wherever they're going. And so that's this conveyor belt that is happening. It's been grinding. It's seven days a week, all day long for two years straight, at every border town in all, from for 2,000 miles, that's just constantly bussing thousands, millions of people into uh, communities across America.
2: And how's, um, you know, I know I've got a limited time with you, unfortunately, I'd, I'd like to talk about this for as long as possible but we could the the consequences of the country long term that's that's probably a whole another separate discussion but i do want to ask the guys the men and women that are in the border patrol they have to be having a heck of a time right now how are they doing because they're basically being told they can't do their job
3: i i liken them to like just imagine a navy seal team that just trained and trained and trained to to do battle and finally a war comes (laughs) And they get consigned to the rear echelon to guard the cafeteria back in the States or something. That's what it's like. These guys are, they're trained to stop, block, chase, interdict, deport, catch bad guys, catch drugs. And what the vast majority of them are doing is just administrative paperwork of processing all these hundreds of thousands of people. in. they're not on the line anymore they're not blocking they're not doing anything they're just everybody just gets in so they're like they're welcome wagon guys they're like walmart greeters i've said before they're literally like walmart greeters yeah okay come on this way get in the truck i'll take you over to the thing and we'll release you in a day or two and that's what they do all day all night and they hate it they hate it
2: it has to be incredibly difficult and um and and Todd, I know I don't have, I only get a couple more minutes left for the, unless you want to unless you want to stay a little bit longer, but why don't you, um, anybody listening to this, why don't you tell us about your upcoming book and how, and how we can find your work?
3: Yeah. So the book is, uh, here, hold on. Got a little poster thing. The book is called overrun. And it's uh, the subtitle is, um, How Joe Biden Unleashed the Greatest Border Crisis in U.S. History. Uh, This would be out in bookstores uh, by Post Hill Press in uh, February. And the book is about, you know, how this all started. It's a a reporting, uh, documenting and reporting what happened. How did this thing happen? Uh, where did it happen? What did it look like on the ground? I was there in the beginning. I was there from b- before the beginning, and I'm still there. I'm still going to the border. Uh, just returned from Tijuana and Mexicali uh, late last month. And this is an account because my my thesis is that you know, this is a truly historic event in American history. Our kids will be studying this. Our grandkids will be studying this in high school, uh, this moment, like we do Ellis Island. It's always in Ellis Island is always, this is one of those. And when you have a historic event, uh, somebody has to document it. Uh, That's what, that's what you do when there's history in the making, it's happening and you're living it. You're in the middle of it. So that's what this book is. It's going to, it's, it accounts for the first two years of this thing. It's not even slightly over. Uh, we've got another two years. The uh, midterm elections showed the administration that voters are kind of okay with this. They didn't get damaged too badly in the the Democrats in the election. And so when they were asked, well, what policies are you going to, the president was asked, "What what are you going to change? And he said, nothing. We're doing everything just what we did. And most recently, he was going to go to Arizona and somebody said, hey, are you going to stop by the border down there? And he said, nah, that's not that's not of any interest. Yeah. So we're looking at another two years, uh, probably by the time this thing's all over, depending on what happens with after Title 42, how, what the flow levels are. Uh, you know, we could be looking at, you know, 15 million new people inside the country by the
2: end of the next two
3: years altogether.
2: Which is one in. 20, 22 people in the country you're talking about or having arrived in the last four or five years, you know? Yeah. It's a
3: stunning, it's really a stunning population yeah. growth uh, for any country. I mean, we're a country of 330 million, but you know, in a, you know, you can't just absorb 15 million people who are predominantly poor, uneducated, unskilled, and don't speak the language without having to support them for a long, long time.
2: If you have time for one more question, I'd be I'd be curious about this. I've always felt the United States is, we're unique in, for a lot of reasons when compared to any other country in the world, but there's no ethnic Americans, there's no religious Americans. It's not like a French person or a German person or a Japanese person. And what historically is at least kept the nation tied together was a was a shared value system a shared sense of values and what it meant to be american do you find that and i know my great-grandparents came through ellis island on my father's side and they stopped speaking ukrainian and russian you know because they came from that part of the world once they arrived here do you find that the people that are arriving is there any sense of of what it means to be an American and also a desire to assimilate into what this country has become to date.
3: Yeah. You know, I, it's too early to, to, to know something like that. Uh, you know, I, I don't really, I don't really have an opinion yeah. on that. It's just, it's, it's just early on, but I mean, people will, will soon enough learn that if they speak English, they make more money. So, uh, and then, you know, there there are there are a lot of a lot of this wave uh, is children who are going into school Uh, they're being taken into school districts across the country and you know those children will grow up here and you know probably get very americanized because they're kids and then the next generation will be more assimilated than the one before it and that's how it kind of usually works but it's a long time between now and then.
2: It's a lot of people. That's the thing.
3: A lot of growing yeah. pains that are going to come with this.
2: Because any, any any system can only can only um, you can only assimilate or at least bring people in at a certain rate. And I think that's the thing that, that, from my perspective anyway, is there's going to be an economic standpoint because there's there's a cost to all this. None of this stuff is free. But also, it, it in in the long term. Um, yeah, you know, there's only there's only so much there's only so much in any given time that, that a society or a nation can can absorb in an orderly fashion and economics and everything else. It depends on the rule of law, and it just looks like there's none happening down there right now. And so that's uh,
3: right. And, you know, I mean, if I if, to, if I'm going to wrap yeah. this up, it would be to say that that, you know, no, no country in the world does what we're doing right now. This is something that is a true outlier as a policy choice. Uh, it's a really fringe sort of ideology that's that's behind it that's driving. I've got a ten thousand word chapter in the book called "The New Theologians." It's all about this: who did this, what what the thinking was, and and I, I would say that the the modern you know the contemporary Democratic Party, the coalition, uh, would never have done any of these things. Barack Obama. Bill Clinton, even Bernie Sanders. I mean, no, nobody would has ever done the what they're doing, what these guys are doing now. Even within the the Democratic Party, this is like extreme, off the grid stuff uh, that they're doing that has never been done before by either party. Uh, so, um, I would I would also add that probably dating all the way back to ancient societies you know they had borders and they've always defended borders like that's just a thing it's you don't know it's not even a question whether or not you're going to have a border and defend it I mean chimpanzee troops in Africa have you know their territories in the jungle you know and they'll defend them uh, and then every country on earth now current modern countries has borders all of Europe they defend them, Canada, everybody defends their borders. And so this is like a really strange thing that we're doing in the United States that that it's it's not just historic for us. Yeah,
2: for anywhere. Well, Todd, I, I, I really appreciate you coming on here today and uh, having this conversation with me. I know for sure I'm pre-ordering your book as soon as we get off here. Uh, I look I look forward to reading it. And again, I cannot cannot thank you enough for the for the work that you're doing to to give everybody an idea of what's occurring and also spending this time with me today. Thank you. Thanks
3: for having me. I appreciate it. Anytime, too. When I have more time, I, I would love back. to
2: continue because I want to I would love to continue that conversation in terms of the bigger, longer term uh, impacts that we're going to have. And there's going to be many. Some will be good. Some will not be. But it'd be it'd be fun to talk about that.
1: Yeah, Todd, I just want to echo what Brent said. Thank you so much. Uh, As a son, my father-in-law was Border Patrol for 31 years, and he has never been so disgusted as he is right now and frustrated as he is right now with everything that has gone on
3: we got to so. have a, a high tolerance for profanity Oh if yes. you talk to any border patrol right now.
1: If you talk to my father-in-law, that's exactly what you need. So, <laughs> And he's retired, and he's just, he just looks at it and says, this is ridiculous. So, again, thank you so much, Brent. Of course, thank you for facilitating this. And our last thank you always goes to listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Smart Money Simplified Podcast with Brent Mikosh. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the Subscribe Now button below. This way, when Brent comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. And we humbly ask that you share this podcast, rate it, and leave a review, as this actually does help others find the show. Again, thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at MP Advisors, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day, every day. And we'll see you next time.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Smart Money Simplified Podcast. Have any questions about topics covered during the show? Visit www.smartmoneysimplified.com or give us a call at 602 Don't forget to click the follow button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the hosts and or guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Raymond James Financial Services Incorporated. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional financial advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service providers with any questions you may have regarding your individual situation. Securities are offered through Raymond James Financial Services Incorporated, member FINRA, and SIPC. Investment advisory services offered through Raymond James Financial Services Advisors Incorporated, MP Advisors, LLC, is not a broker dealer and is independent of Raymond James Financial Services.